Language is like a bastardized form of telepathy. We have to try to figure out what people are doing. And there's no central planning committee for language. So people are going to come up with different uses of the same word. And as Orwell said, political language is designed to make lies sound truthful, murder respectable, and give the illusion of solidity to pure wind. So when you're talking about political labels, people are going to redefine them and use them differently based on their own agendas, their own pre-existing biases. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my rare truth, Miss Really Lightheart. Hey, guys. Hi, Johnny. How you doing today? Beautifully. I am in the best mood ever. Are you I'm really? coffee. Really? <laughs> so I'm ready to, ready to roar. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You know what? I am excited today because I have a package that's being delivered. Really? Yes. I just got a package, actually, with my CDs. I don't know oh, if anyone's that's gotten right. theirs yet. All Systems Go CD. Volume from 1. The show. Yeah. Volume 1. You like mm-hmm. it? I'm loving it. I love it, and I can't wait to put stickers on everything. Okay, so you got a lot of stickers. I did send you a bunch of Blast Off stickers. I know. Thank you. I did. I, I did. But that CD is great because it actually takes up the full amount of the CD itself. Yeah. Like, it's the exact amount. It's like 75 minutes, 74 minutes. It's the it's, it's full max. Jam-packed. Yeah, it's the full max of a CD, what it's capable of having. So I figured that would be really cool for people who are listeners to get a full CD. You know, like, you get CDs that are like 38 minutes. You're like, what the hell? Right. But the most important thing is the fact that I also am getting beer in the mail. That's what I was getting at. See? No way. Yeah. From who? I don't... I, Okay, I don't want to get him in trouble, but here we go. Kyle Evans, one of the supporters of Blastoff, is sending me beer because he actually works in a brewery. And so he's like, Johnny, I got some great beer for you. Do you want some? I'm like, hell yeah. So he's going to send me some beer, and I'm excited. I'm getting it today. FedEx said, hey, we have your tracking number. Here it is for some beer. And I'm like, it didn't say beer. I don't think you can legally send beer in the mail. That's why I'm a little hesitant regarding talking about it or saying his name, but I don't think he cares. I love libertarians, and I love agorists, <laughs> and I love the black and gray oh, markets, yeah. and I just think that people it's should a gray be market. brave, but, it's, but I don't blame anyone for not wanting to have the state at their door. I just, I'm into it. I'm with you. I think it's great, but anyways, oh, Kyle, thank you so much for the beer. Looking forward to drinking it tonight with my beautiful fiance, Miss Ruff. So we're going to indulge in some really high-end beer from Chicago or Illinois. Anyways, oh, Raylene, are you ready for our guest? I am so ready. Okay, Luke Enser grew up in a Republican household. He saw politics as being important to what happens in life as opposed to sports. He was a Romney supporter in 2012, and his world changed when he saw the YouTube trilogy called Law Without Government. He started learning from Larkin Rose and the Mises Institute, and Enser eventually became a non-political anarchist. Luke changed his views because of Lysander Spooner and Mari Rothbard and decided to move into the fray of the political world. After the disappointment of the Johnson Well ticket in 2016, Luke became involved with Michael Heiss and is now the vice chair for the Libertarian Mises Caucus. Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers tie-downs and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Luke. Good, Luke. How you doing today? <laughs> First podcast. So we're breaking your cherry, your podcast cherry. Oh, pretty shit. much, yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Awesome, awesome. So, dude, I, I, you know what? Here's the thing. There's two caucuses in the Libertarian Party that I love. All right, mm-hmm. and well, there are two that I really associate with that I feel like the most connected to, and that would be the Radical Caucus and the Mises Caucus, because both of those caucuses are founded on the ideas of liberty in which I adhere to. So, right. I guess 
What is the purpose of the Mises Caucus, and why is economics the cornerstone of that organization? Well, it's for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, Michael Heiss, when he was first conceptualizing the idea of the caucus, it was for a number of reasons. He wanted to do several things. First of all, he wanted to make kind of a home for people who were explicitly influenced by the Mises Institute circuit, you know, Murray Rothbard, Walter Block, Ludwig von Mises, obviously, Tom Woods, especially. And he also wanted to um, put an emphasis on economics because economics, human action is very, very key to what humans do, what they do. If we understand human action, we can understand better how to make the case for liberty in the context of humanity. Human liberty needs to have an understanding of how humans act and what they do in the context of scarcity of physical resources Mm -hmm. in order for us to have a clear and precise message. That is what our understanding is. It was also to pay homage to the Ron Paul campaign because Ron Paul himself said that he was influenced greatly by Ludwig von Mises and inspired by him. And Michael Heiss was a Ron Paul supporter from back during his campaigns, was very, very uh, influenced by him and very inspired by him. And he wanted to pay homage to that. And another thing that we do is the Radical Caucus seems to be more um, focused inward inside of the party that it already exists So what the Mises Caucus wants to do is not only focus more outwardly about bringing in small L libertarians that Mm -hmm. that are with us philosophically, but aren't really with the party because they have some disagreements with certain aspects of how it's run, what its messaging is, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And also we wanted to put an emphasis on a, a few key areas, which we think are very important because we've gone through the Radical Caucus platform. And there's not really much that we see on there that's that we find uh, a disagreement with. We have a different focus and a little bit of a different prioritization. Mm-hmm. That's the main reason why we're we form the Mises Caucus. That's great. Nice. We basically see the Radical Caucus as natural allies within the party. We may not be exactly the same, but we think that there is a lot of overlap and there's a lot of places where we can work together and agree on. So we're hoping that going forward, members of the Radical Caucus and members of the Mises Caucus will be on friendly, allied terms. Oh, yes. I I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's Mm -hmm. great, dude. And and you can do a lot with creating allies, especially with inter-party politics and politicking. You know what I mean? Like this caucus, if they have the same ideas, they can utilize that. Good ideas speak for themselves, and we all know that good ideas don't require force. And that's why the Radical Caucus and the Mises Caucus are natural allies, and there should be a large overlap. But direction and focus and what you're doing out there is great. Everybody should be doing uh, different versions of of outreach and liberty and, and target audiences and things like that. So I think it makes complete sense. So the Mises Caucus is really quickly becoming a powerful force in this movement. In fact, um, they've been credited out there uh, for bringing in people like Dave Smith, uh, Jason Stapleton, uh, Mance Rader, Pete Raymond, and uh, Tom Woods, right? Like this is, this is huge. So what are you guys organizing right now? Where is the focus being put and what's next for you guys? Well, what's next for us is we're looking to form a pack, and mm-hmm. what we're going to do is we're going to put an emphasis on local races and um, local and maybe statewide ini- ballot initiatives, mm-hmm. because if there's anything that the 2018 election has taught us, it's that the party is not yet viable. So where we are right now is we're looking to form a pack. We're looking to focus on local ra- local elections and local ballot initiatives, maybe from the state level, and that goes along with our uh, platform where one of our planks is decentralization. So what we learned from the 2018 election is that we are a long way away from really being, you know, viable on a national or statewide statewide level. And I think all of us knew that due to party history. Sure. It's not if we were measuring success on how many elections we would win, the LP would absolutely be a um, would would be a failure. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that that's not really what the focus needs to be. The focus needs to be about spreading the message of liberty and 
um, getting elected, while desirable, needs to be a second, and we need to do it on libertarian principles. So what we're going to try to do is we want to build the party's viability from the ground up. My understanding is that that's how the two major parties got their start. The Democrats and Republicans, they started on the local levels as well, and they grew up from there. So what we need to do is we need to win elections on the local levels to build our viability from the ground up, and that's what our focus is. And in the meantime, we want to form issues-based coalitions with people outside the party who don't agree with us on everything but on some key issues, such as in Denver, Colorado, the uh, the psilocybin yes. initiative. Yes, yes. Michael Heiss was the one who got libertarians into that and also put the, uh, the main organizer behind that on the Tom Woods show. And we're also looking at... T- taking a bunch of the um, the initiatives from the 10th Amendment Center in order to um, give them more emphasis. Very, very cool. What are some of the local and state federal initiatives of the Mises Caucus you guys are trying to push at this time now? Well, we have a page on our website called Our Initiatives, and they're listed on there. So local psilocybin decriminalization, cannabis, and MDMA, because the drug mm-hmm. war is a, a huge source of state power. Sure. We're also looking to... Um, push back on uh, mass surveillance as well as uh, federal gun control. And for statewide, we're looking at uh, defunding the NSA along with more uh, pushing back on uh, the the drug war and mass surveillance and gun control, as well as uh, legalization of gold and silver as legal tender. Beautiful. Awesome. Okay, so I've been following Michael Heiss and everything he's doing with the mushrooms and everything in Colorado. I've been following that very much. I know that there is so much anti-science stuff going out there from the government and the state and and talking about how these things are terrible, but they are curing depression and anxiety. And I think that even for curing these things in our vets is is huge. I can't wait for free people to be able to put whatever they want into their bodies if and learning the risks on their own and being responsible for that. So I think it's beautiful. Are we going to be continuing to work out, look for new people outside of the party and outside there? How do we find them? Where should we be looking? What we need to do is we basically need to look at issues and organizations where people are in agreement with us and we go to them and we talk to them or we invite them. So what we did a couple of months ago was Michael and I went down to the um, the Washington, D.C. Women's March on the Pentagon, which is which was very leftist, but it was also hardcore anti-war. And we made contact with Medea Benjamin of Code Pink and Cindy Sheehan, both of which are pretty hardcore anti-war activists. And another thing that Michael has done is he's collected a number of email lists and contacts in order to work together with people to oppose war and and bring about decentralization. Because we're also reaching out to the Green Party and even the Mm -hmm. Constitution Party at times to work on decentralization, bringing the troops home and things like that. Very cool. Very cool. Luke, what is your take about the recent outcome of the party chair in 2016 at NOLA? Do you think the chair really has any influence? Because I know you guys were running Josh Smith for the chair. And if he did... Powerfully, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Very successfully. It was very cool. What did you hope to accomplish by doing that? Well, when people look at the chair of the Libertarian Party, they see in, in them as the representative to those outside. People look to the chair as a signal of what that means. So so when Sarwark and Tom Woods were arguing back and forth, and then Sarwark said that the Mises Institute was the preferred think tank destination of Nazis, that was a huge red flag for us and a huge turnoff for mm-hmm. the people that we're trying to reach out to. And a lot of people have said that as long as Sarwark is the chair of the party, they wouldn't be involved. Mm-hmm. Now, Obviously, we weren't successful in that endeavor, but we formed the uh, the caucus less than a year before the convention, and it was rather piecemeal, and we did run a pretty good campaign, but it was rather last minute, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, Sarwark is extremely popular within the party, and running a meeting well, I've been to LP meetings that are not run well. It is very, very much Oh, no, sure. Great. No, so, I get it, man. Sarwark is really good at that. He is. He has a yeah, he great commanding presence over the crowd. I don't agree with right. him politically, but I think in his function as a chair is good. I just don't necessarily agree with his ideals. And on top of it, I like being called a Nazi. It's cool. It's it's really <laughs> great to hear that. No, it's not. No, it's no. fun. 
No, I, I think it's hilarious because I am it's the ridiculous. furthest away from being a Nazi. And like Tom Woods has yeah. talked about this too. It's like, I don't give a, call me a Nazi. I, I don't care. Property rights? That means I'm a Nazi? See, here's the thing though. And this is what the left does, Luke, is they like to tell people like, oh, well, you discriminate against people. We all discriminate every day. We discriminate constantly every second of every day. Like, right. I prefer this beer over that beer. So therefore, I'm discriminating against this company. Right. I discriminate constantly. So what I find hilarious, though, there's a lot of left libertarians who are calling us or people in the Mises Institute outright racist, bigoted. What do you have to say about this? Because this has been going on for a couple of years now, saying that like anyone who's associated with like Ron Paul and Jeff Deist or Lou Rockwell. What do you have to say about this, Luke? I think part of it is uh, jealousy because I think that they managed to reach out to a lot more people than what the LP has done and has managed to reach a demographic and also to find success where the LP has not and also the the left libertarian approach has not because Ron Paul got a huge amount of support and brought a lot of people in. So I think part, part of it is jealousy and I think part of it is also just it's disagreement with strategy. And that's pretty much what I think about it. Yeah, well, words matter and calling somebody a Nazi, it's completely incompatible with the libertarian ideology. And no matter how bad of a libertarian you are, you cannot be a Nazi. That's that's why I think it's hilarious. Yeah, we're not socialists. Have you ever looked at the the National Socialist 25-point plank? There's so much in there that's just, why on earth would people think that this is at all compatible with anything that we advocate? Right. It's it's actually impossible. Eric July actually said on our show that there was no way he was going to join the party, even though there were so many other awesome personalities that Mm -hmm. were joining because of Sarbark being the chair. That's interesting. No kidding. That's funny, though. I mean, that's true. And like Luke, Raylene, the thing is, it's like with the Socialist Caucus, somebody had said, well, you know, here's the thing with the Socialists that, you know, all they want to do is they want to start their commune and do all that stuff on their own. They have the right to do that, yet in their political ideology or their political realm or world, we can't have libertarianism. But in our realm, they can have communism or socialism, right? This is the problem. As long as it's a commune that is organized voluntarily under, you know, property rights that they all band together, they all own a... uh, Yes. Like an HOA. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, something like that. But here's the thing. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. Really quick, I'm going to wrap this point up, is that they can do that now. They can have their idea, their ideology right now, and we can't. That's the difference. The socialists can do a commune. They can live and, and do that function of government on their own. Libertarians can't. We can't well, live Well, they free. want to claim on everybody else's money. And That's right. And we all know We that. can't just go off the grid legally and without the, you know, IRS after our ass. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just can't do it. We, we have to pay property. We have to pay all this. And if we don't, we're going to get. But if the socialists want to have their commune, they can still have that. We can't have our freedom. That's what I I'm saying. I think it goes further than that. Let's just say this was uh, more of an anarchist society. And, and now we have a libertarian and people want libertarian unity and they want us to unite sure. with ANCOMs. And um, I'm an ANCAP also. So let's just say if we were in a, an anarchist society... ANCAPs cannot trust ANCOMs as much as ANCOMs can trust ANCAPs. They know we would leave them alone. But in, according to their ideology, rent is theft. And if you own multiple pieces of property and are not living in it, then you can have your property taken and homesteaded by them. Therefore, ANCAPs can never trust ANCOMs. That's they right. just can't. That's right. What do you have to say about this, Luke? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the issue is that when people talk about how, well, the lib sucks, they uh, they agree with the non-aggression principle. And by the way, just to, just to be clear for a second, yeah. uh, there are people who we agree with that call themselves lib sucks, but our only disagreement with them is the use of that term, such as, for example, Kevin Shaw in California. The way he uses the, the word is pretty compatible with our worldview. And I think Karen Ann said that he's a, a communitarian or a communalist. Instead of a socialist, because the issue there is when you're saying socialist in conventional usage, 
Um, socialist means a, a certain economic and political worldview and setup that is based on public ownership of resources or, as we define it, non-private collective ownership of right, resources. Right. Because what is the means of production if not resources? Mm-hmm. But as far as uh, the, the ANCOMs go, the issue there is they can say that they agree with uh, non-aggression, but the issue is the non-aggression principle is meaningless if it's not derived from a specific understanding of property rights. Right. So if they have a different understanding of property rights, then that means that they have different definitions of aggression. And I mean, could we stick to our own communities and not attack each other? I would hope that would be that would be the case. And I think if we ever get to an anarchist society or even a minarchist society, that that's what's going to have to happen because people are going to have different views of how society should be operated. And that's why we push uh, decentralization so much. But at the same time, it is something to be wary of because if they view aggression differently and they view property rights differently than we do, that is a that is not a trivial difference. And that's why whenever they say they don't believe in aggression, well, sure, within your, within your uh, framework, you don't believe in aggression. But at the same time, your framework is different from our own, and that puts us in co- in conflict ideologically and, God forbid, physically. So that is something to be wary of. How hard is it for Lib Socks, uh, self self titled, to fit in with the Mises Caucus specifically? Considering Mises is based on economics and, and economic theory, property rights. Well, I mean, we've had Kevin Shaw in, I think, pretty much since we first started. I'm not sure exactly when when he came in, but he's been around a while, and we've uh, we've had him in there, and we're we're in agreement with him. But the issue is, of course, most of the Libsox, from what we've seen, they do not agree with us on on property rights. They they stick to occupancy and use. They don't agree with that there can be absentee ownership. They think rent rent is theft and eviction is murder. Now. To be clear, there are certain cases where, because of the state, has perverted how property rights and property titles are laid out, Mm -hmm. that there are certain cases where collecting rent or evicting someone would be unjust because the property title that's based on is unjust. The issue is the way that they that they view it as like the actual arrangement itself where you're renting your property out. If it was legitimately owned, that is a legitimate function. And would absentee ownership be um, more difficult maybe or maybe not as profitable without uh, state interference? Right, sure. Right. But that doesn't mean that it would be impossible or immoral. Mm-hmm. So the issue really is, would they be willing to adhere to our definitions and our? Um, would they be willing to agree with our conception of property rights? And if that's the case, then fine. And if that was the prevailing view of libertarian socialism, then I wouldn't have a problem with it. But again, when you bring up that particular word and colloquially, that's not what the term means because at that point, it's communalism. (laughs) A good counterexample that actually came up recently that kind of made the point for us was when a former member of the Mises Caucus, who we kicked out because of this, just to be clear, we kicked him out. His name is uh, Mark Kibler, and he decided to form the Libertarian Fascist Caucus. Now, it started out to seem like it was a troll, but what seems to be happening is he's actually trying to recruit in fascists to like destroy the party because he's very, very anti-socialist. Mm-hmm. He thinks that just having Kevin Shaw in the caucus means that we're we're selling out. He's very hostile to that. So the issue there is whenever people say that, depending on how the terms fascism, socialism, or communism are used, sure, they could be compatible with with a libertarian society. But the thing is, is that whenever you use those terms, they're not talking about just a lifestyle. They're not talking about a way that you are living within property rights. They are talking about a, a very different theory of property rights itself. Right. So- that is why we're, we take issue with the use of the term Libsock. Now, like I said, if they were using it like Kevin Shaw does, we wouldn't have a problem with that because, I mean, historically speaking, libertarian was did originate as a, uh, as a socialist communist term. Mm-hmm. And that, 
mostly it in was, Europe. It was that, a yes, it was a libertarian. Libertarian was an anarcho-commie term. It was right. I think it came about, if I remember correctly, it like came into real usage because yeah. I think it came about because France actually outlawed the use of the word communist, which was stupid. <laughs> now, don't don't hold me to that. I could be way off, but I think that's where where it really really took off as a socialist term. Right. And then when it came over to America, then the phrase basically changed meaning back in the uh, the 30s and 40s, I think it was. You know, it's funny, though. Luke, Mark Kibler is one of our great friends. And it's funny that you brought him up because... Oh, he's a friend of mine, too. I, I, love, yeah, I just, love Mark. And it, you know what? It's funny is I admire his spirit and his passion. His passion. And I, here's the thing. I, I disagree with him also. I think we don't need to bring more bad people into the party, you know, to combat right, the other exactly. bad people. You know, it's not like we're not running a wildlife preservation here. You know, like there's too many deer, so we got to bring in more wolves. You know, like that's not how yeah. we do it because then we can the have a wolf he problem. The it is that he sees socialism as a cancer to the party and he sees bringing in fascism as like chemotherapy to cure it. <laughs> exactly, like, exactly. That's, that's not what it, that's not that's what it is. That's a good analogy. It's, like, it's a second form of cancer. It's possibly a worse one. You know, here's the thing, though. He's passionate. Really, the idea of socialism is evil. And this has been discussed by Rothbard and mm-hmm. Tom Woods and you name it. And it is evil. It is very evil because they require force. And right. the thing is, though, he's upset. And I get his point is the fact that if people are welcoming these socialists into the party, but when you welcome a fascist, now it's a big deal. That's his point. Yeah, it is. It is the point. Is that it's no, it's libertarian fascism. It's very it's ironic, very different. In cheek. It it, yes. it is. It's it's meant to be ridiculous. That's what I think is hilarious, though, is that everyone's welcoming the socialists because people are virtue signaling. I think people in the party are virtue signaling to the left to get more people into the party, right? And at the same right. time, we're shooting ourselves in the foot by doing that. Like, I think we're welcoming an unwanted entity into the party that shouldn't be there. And yet, when he does the fascist thing, which they're really the same thing, fascism and socialism, can really anybody explain what the difference is? Nobody really can. So this is the point I'm trying to make is, yeah, he brings this in and now that's bad. But when the lip socks come in, it's okay. And I get his point. I get his point. I think his method is wrong, but I get his point. Here's a bit of a rant. Language is like a bastardized form of telepathy. We have to try to figure out what people are doing. And there's no central planning committee for language. So people are going to come up with different uses of the same word. And as Orwell said, political language is designed to make lies sound truthful, murder respectable, and give the illusion of solidity to pure wind. So when you're talking about political labels, people are going to redefine them and use them differently based on their own agendas, their own pre-existing biases. Sure. So whenever people talk about bringing in quote-unquote socialists, like I said, if they're of the variant that Kevin Shaw talks about, then that's fine. But at the same time, what he talks about, our disagreement there is the use of the word socialist means something different than might have meant at the time. I mean, to take an, an extreme example, the swastika used to be a symbol of good luck. And that has gone way out the window. Right, after exactly. what happened in the 1940s and 30s. Luke, if I said I was a, a liberal, in today's lingo, right, or today's usage, right, you would say that I am a left-wing progressive, right? But what I would do, first of all, is I would ask you, do you mean liberal in the classical sense? Because Mises himself defined himself as a liberal, mm-hmm. and he right. said that liberal was about property rights, and that's how it was classically in uh, in Europe. Right, but again, that's right. That, that got totally corrupted when it came over to America. Right. Where, I mean, even the Republicans and the Democrats used to be kind of more switched in their ideologies, direction that they were going with or between liberal and conservative. Uh, I'm not really big into identity politics, but we hear a lot of times in the party, we always hear about how we need more minorities and more women and things like that. And so I'd like to discuss that with you. Considering that the, the Mises caucus is so rooted in economics, do you think that we're missing out on a certain type of personality that isn't a big statistics nerd or a 
somebody who is a little, we have a lot of logical people that come here because of those economics, but don't you feel like we're really missing out on the psychology end of that? And that would be more helpful to having women and, and people that think that way in the party? A little bit, yeah. I think that like there are certain people that, first of all, you're not going to reach because they're just so set in their ways. But at the same time, I mean, the way that you reach different people is you need different approaches to them. Now, there is a difference between how you communicate your principles and what you're communicating. So Mm -hmm. if you ground what you're saying in a solid economics message, but you're not necessarily using, you know, big brain nerdy words all the time, then that's fine. And as far as use of psychology, yeah, the issue there is, I go back to my point with language, we talk about, you know, property rights and capitalism and non-aggression a lot, but those words either have different meanings for us or are just totally meaningless to the average person. So we have to tailor our message and figure out the best way to communicate to the most people using different approaches on maybe a mass communication scale versus individual exchanges. Right. Okay, anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket here at Blast Off. I'm here with my Ray of Truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Anyways, O'Reilly, this show is brought to you in part by Free Talk Live, America's number one pro-liberty radio program. These guys are on 190 radio stations coast to coast, and they are live seven nights per week. So please check out freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas, and we'll be right back. Rock and roll. Inflammatory. Uncalled for. Outrageously offensive. Ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Rockets two minute hate speech. Hate speech. Johnny Rockets. This is Johnny Rocket's two-minute hate speech. Sometimes longer. Johnny Rocket's two-minute hate speech, banned in D.C. I was speaking in the comfort of my own home in a private conversation with the love of my life about the Covington Catholic school students. The weird thing was, I caught myself prefacing what I was going to say with the caveat, I'm not racist, but now my fiancé knows I'm not racist. I know I'm not racist. Anyone who knows me knows I'm not racist. Yet, here I was issuing this off-spoken public disclaimer before completing a perfectly rational thought, totally absent of racist under and overtones, as though what I had to say could be dismissed as simply fucking racist. Why? Because of cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism is an extension of the socialist, economic, and political belief that puts everything in our American Western culture as being the oppressive byproduct of capitalism and its beneficiaries. The very words we speak, the manner in which we speak them, and how we as a society process and evaluate information are all believed to be the direct result of capitalism, which according to socialist rhetoric is inherently oppressive to the working class and minorities. I have previously mentioned how socialism, when it failed to take root as a political and economic ideology, wormed its way into academia under the guise of gender, ethnic, and LGBTQ studies. Cultural Marxism is what happens when this mode of thinking extends beyond the bounds of classroom environment and manifests itself in a pervasive nationwide epidemic of hand-wringing apologists who hold their beliefs and ideas that run counter to what's socially permissible. So much so, in fact, that even edgy libertarian radio hosts who put out weekly rants dubbed two-minute hate speeches, such as myself, fall prey to this insidious brainwashing and catch themselves saying, I'm not racist, before speaking their mind to their partner in the privacy of their own home. In the aftermath of the electoral upset of 2016, many political pundits and mainstream media experts scratched their heads at how somebody as boorish as Donald Trump could possibly get elected. Anyone with a little bit of distance and their finger on the pulse of the nation could easily tell you how. Because Donald Trump, like Don Cummings and the Leave movement of Brexit, knew what these so-called experts refused to acknowledge. That people, silenced by others telling them that they're bigots for holding a differing opinion, may have been silenced in normal conversation. But they were very vocal in their votes when it came time to line up at the polls. Long story short, cultural Marxism may have driven the dialogue underground, but it didn't shut it down. Not completely. 
Our nation, like many other similar westernized nations, is filled with frustrated, disenfranchised, silenced people, a majority in fact, who are sick of being told that their very rational, very intelligent attitudes, beliefs, and ideas are bigoted. And as long as we permit cultural Marxism to shut us up in the public arena, we will never, ever let this pervasive feeling of discontent, disenfranchisement to manifest in the socio-cultural sea change we are so desperately need in order to restore liberty. But how exactly? Even within our own movement and political party, were we supposedly filled with rational anti-authority contrary types who eschew cultural norms and stand up for what they believe in when standing alone? Libertarians are not immune to this disease of cultural Marxism. Consider the curious case of our own chair, Nicholas Sarwark, and his bizarre attack of the libertarian talk show host and longtime advocate for the Mises Institute, Tom Woods. Tom Woods, over the course of his career, has amassed an impressive, respectable following by preaching a highly principled message in Austrian economics. Yet when the Libertarian Party was under the threat of infiltration from the white nationalists of the alt-right, the Libertarian Party chair, Nicholas Sauerk, decided to put forth a completely toothless online petition to decry the presence of the alt-right in the LP, and then demanded Tom Woods sign it lest he be perceived as an alt-right sympathizer, or worse, a racist. Notwithstanding the fact that Sarwark, like many other members of the Libertarian National Committee, could easily have put forward a resolution within the confines of the LNC that served the same purpose and foregone the acquisition of signatures from outside members. This bizarre political gambit by Sarwark, designed to push perfectly legitimate paleo-libertarians and conservatarians out of the party by targeting one of their most respected media personalities, is illustrative of how persuasive cultural Marxism is. Coupled with that, the decision to remain completely silent on the rise of the Libertarian Socialist Caucus, while at the same time benefiting directly from the volunteer efforts of one of the most outspoken members on his own mayoral campaign. And you've just entered the goddamn Twilight Zone. So if society has fallen ill, the Libertarian Party doubles down and re-elects a chair that employs the same tactics in his own rhetoric and even yours truly finds himself fretting over being labeled a racist simply for acknowledging the undeniable behavior of a black Israelites targeting Catholic students on a field trip at the Lincoln Memorial. How the are we supposed to beat back this tide and let freedom ring? I'll tell you, we clean house. My girl always says this and I completely agree. Liberty starts with you. You must uphold these principles and carry them like a goddamn badge of honor. Wherever you go, even at the risk of being insulted or assaulted, our nation, not just in the halls of Capitol Hill, but in your very own goddamn mind, is a war zone. And just like any other battlefield, each of us is a standard bearer for liberty. What did we do when we charged into battlefield during the Civil War and those carrying the flag fell? The rest of us picked up flag and kept charging. If someone within our own rank and file, or even one of the four goddamn star generals out there supposedly organizing the attack, does something wholly destructive to the movement of liberty, what do we do? We wrest the mantle from them, step around them, and keep charging forward, not by becoming hand-wringing apologists for their behavior, lest we be labeled racist. Liberty is not racist. It's the most egalitarian belief you can hold. It is a world in which anyone, regardless of race, sex, color, or creed, has exactly the same natural rights. Liberty doesn't give a flying if you're African-American, transsexual, female. You, just like anyone else in this world, has the exact same rights to life, liberty, and justly acquired property. Liberty won't validate your existence. That's not its job. But it will ensure you that you won't be murdered, enslaved, or stolen from. And that's a ton more than any other belief system or ideology out there. So stand up, fight back, push back against the tide. We will not apologize and we will not yield. And you can take your socialist Marxism rhetoric and shove it up your Luke, thanks so much for being here and talking about the Mises Caucus, man. It's been very informative, and it's been controversial, and it's been uh, quite a bit of fun. And see, I too. I 
Words, man. <laughs> I do. I words all the time. So is Chiefs. Oh, f- <laughs> Get it out of your system. Beep, 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 beep. God damn it. I, I want a lot of bleeps here. Well, it certainly illustrates the diversity of the word. Yes, we can say <laughs> this, that. I'm not going to say you, though. All right, how's that, Luke? We're good. All right, I hey, hey, brother, what we do here on the second segment is called Rocket Fire. Rocket what we do on Rocket Fire, 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 sirs, I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically or philosophically related. And if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Luke, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? Oh, yeah. Let's give it a shot. All right. Question one. Is egalitarianism at all related to libertarianism? Well, I would say no. Except with one caveat in the legal sense. Everybody has equal rights. Everybody has equality before the law, so to speak. Everybody is equally human, but that is the only aspect. Equality of outcome, even equality of opportunity is not really something that can be compatible with a free society because nobody has the same opportunity. We all we're all born in different circumstances. We all have different aptitudes. We all have different physical characteristics. And sure. geographically speaking, we have different opportunities. As far as outcome goes, that's pretty obvious. Unequal skills and unequal opportunities are going to lead to unequal outcomes. Even if we got to the point where everybody was equal, quote unquote, depending on how you define that term, because that's another that's another issue with it. As soon as somebody makes like a trade and trades one piece of property for another, then there there is a difference again. There is an imbalance. And equal is basically just a different way of saying same. And so when you are different, you are unequal. Now, that's a bit of a, uh, a controversial way to put it, but it is true. As soon as you talk, start talking about equality as a um, goal, you are, unless it is in the legal sense, then you are going against human nature and against liberty. Right on, man. Why are federal workers paid so much more than their private sector colleagues? Well, so basically, the reason public sector workers get paid more than private sector is they are paid through tax money. They're not subject to the profit and loss test. They're not subject to competition. They don't have to satisfy customers in order to get paid. More to the point, because they have a captive income base, that could be raised as much as they want. And who's going to complain? Right on, man. Question three. There is a Hayek and was a Rothbard caucus. Why the Mises caucus over them? Well, because first of all, it's to pay homage to Ludwig von Mises, a great economist. Second of all, it's in order to pay homage to the Mises Institute and as well as Ron Paul, who named Mises as his inspiration. But it's also because we're not explicitly looking to be necessarily anarchists. Now, all of us high up in the in the Mises caucus are all ANCAPs, but at the same time, we want to adhere to the spirit of the Dallas Accord and bring in people who may not necessarily be anarchists, but are still radical, uncompromising, even in the minarchist sense. And Mises was a utilitarian and he was a uh, he was a minarchist in that sense as well. So we wanted to use him to bring those people in. And as well as he is a major figure in Austrian economics, and that is our emphasis. Right on. Question four. Does the Mises Caucus support elements such as agorism and cryptocurrency? Yes, we are in support of cryptocurrency and agorism as strategies to achieve liberty. In fact, cryptocurrency is another aspect that Michael Heiss wants to bring into the party as as another strategy. That doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to emphasize that because part of agorism, in theory, is rejecting political action. But at the same time... In, in an economic sense, we view agorism and political action and others as different strategies to achieve liberty. And as per division of labor, people should go to what they are optimal at doing. And and that includes strategies to achieving liberty. Right on, man. Question five. Do you believe work is currency? Yes. Even if it's not in the physical sense, work is currency because we need to put in the work in order to ch- to achieve a free society. And from what I've seen of activists in the LP, they put a lot of stock in people who come in and who are in the party and who have done work for a long time. That is how you gain respect. That's how you gain influence. And that's how you advance as far as um, the power structure or, or however you want to call it. So, yes, work is currency that you use to buy influence and buy um, people taking you seriously or People taking you seriously is another way to say influence. Sorry. There you go. Question six. Do you believe there is economics in virtue signaling, and does it serve a purpose? 
Yes, because it is in the self-interest of certain people to signal their virtue in order to get people who, who may not like them otherwise to take them seriously. People desire what they do not have and oftentimes what they cannot have. So what they will do is they will go out of their way sometimes in order to signal their virtue to people who may despise them otherwise or who they want to bring in in order to uh, get them to take them seriously and get their approval. So yes, there is economics to virtue signaling. Right on. There's economics to, there's economics to every aspect of human action. There you go, man. Great answer. That was the Great best answer. answer, dude. I love that answer. Question seven. Why is private property so important to the libertarian philosophy? Because if we are going to have a free society, it has to be compatible with human nature and physical reality. And the physical reality is... Um, there are scarce resources, and self-interested humans are going to have conflicts over those scarce resources. So we need to have a way of assigning control over those scarce resources in order to minimize conflicts and get along and coexist peacefully. And the reason why I think it's so funny that the Lib Socks are coming in and saying make libertarian socialists again is, in a way, they're actually being regressive reactionaries because they're trying to go back to before the ideological innovations of Mises and others with the economic calculation problem and going back to a version that is incompatible with human nature. Again, I make exception to for those like Kevin Shaw who basically for them, socialism means a lifestyle. But otherwise, they're trying to go back. They're trying to be regressive and reactionary and taking away progress of a school of thought, which I think is actually ironically hilarious. Right on, man. Question me. What is thick libertarianism and what are the problems with that concept? Thick libertarianism is basically where you attach certain cultural preferences and lifestyle preferences to the, the baseline definition of libertarianism being self-ownership, non-aggression, and property rights. The issue there is when you do that, you basically rule out a certain segment of the population that would otherwise agree with you, and you are basically ruling, ruling them out and saying that they cannot be part of libertarianism, you cannot appeal to them. Now, that's not to say that people aren't going to have cultural preferences. Everybody mm -hmm. does. Right. But at the same time, that's not really about libertarianism per se. That's more about what are they going to do in a free society. And that's why, like, in the Mises Caucus platform, one of our platforms is lifestyle choices where we don't take a stance on that. We sure. explicitly rule out thick libertarianism. Our only condition is you have to respect the property rights of others other than that do what you want right on man question nine what is it about the libertarian philosophy that you found so goddamn sexy <laughs> like like what was the curve what was the curve man i think it was the radicalism it was the idea that this i love it so, this is just so outside of the norm and it's logically consistent and it's just so different than what other people have found before. It was kind of like a um, forbidden fruit kind of allure. Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. Question 10. The final question, sir. Do you think working on a single issue one at a time is more important than teaching the fundamentals of self-ownership and voluntarism? I think that's a loaded question. It is. I think you can do, it is I a think loaded do, question. <laughs> I think you can do both at the same time. And I think, like I said before, with division of labor, it's strategies to achieve liberty. Some people can focus on teaching the fundamentals. Other people can focus on reaching out and working on issues. Or the same people can do this can do both of them just at different times or mix them together. So I think they're both important. It's hard to say which one is the most important. I think teaching the fundamentals is good for long-term prospects as far as issue-based coalitions. That's about bringing about change like soon and advancing it as much as possible. So I think they're both important. Right on. That's Rocket Fire. Give it up for Luke Henry, sir. Nice job, Luke. Thank you. Bam. Bam, dude. Great job on Rocket Fire, man. Bam. You got some, like, pep in your step on that. I just wanted to <laughs> swear again. That's all. That's the reason why I said that. I just swore just because I can. Raylene. Yes. We're going to take a goddamn commercial break. Okay. I, I feel like swearing today. I have no idea why I'm just F-bombing this and... I know it's all the coffee. I know that's what it is. Maybe not coffee. Probably some whiskey in my coffee. That's probably what's yeah. doing it. It's the magic combo. It's right. That's right. It is. It was us, Johnny Rocket, here on Blast Off. I'm here with my Ray Truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. 
and our guest, Luke Enser. Anyway, so guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Rock and roll. Libertarians is a children's media company for children's ages 0 through 7. Our stories teach the foundational principles that underlie libertarianism and relate them in a manner that even the youngest children can understand and enjoy. Little Libertarians was founded by attorney and libertarian activist Dory Goikman. We teach the basics of self-ownership, non-aggression, and property rights to babies, toddlers, and young kids. Use coupon code ROCKET, R-O-C-K-E-T, for 40% off of Little Libertarian products at www.littlelibertarians.com. Again, that's www.littlelibertarians.com. Ground control to Johnny Rocket. Ground control to Johnny Rocket. Well, here we are in episode 32 of Blast Off with Johnny Rocket and Raylene Lightheart, and we're talking to Luke Enzer. You know, Luke's a pretty cool guy, considering he's affiliated with an organization named after a dude that died almost five decades ago. Well, anyways, due to all the talk earlier about fascists and socialists, our lawyers have suggested that I read the official Blastoff policy statement on the matter. <clears throat> Blastoff does not endorse, support, encourage, or really give a about statists, collectivists, and comms, socialists, syndicalists, fascists, Nazis, commies, Trotskyites, neocons, Democrats, Republicans, Rousseau, enthusiasts, social Democrats, Maoists, bootlickers, policy wonks, or Bill Weld. On the contrary, we do endorse free markets, property rights, natural rights, decentralization, individual sovereignty, world peace, and, of course, liberty. Oh, and rock and roll. Big and not big, oh please forgive Whatever I might have did I know I have made some mistakes But I want you back no matter what it takes How long will you make me wait For I need to know my fate Will you come home or will you just leave Wearing my heart on my sleeve Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket And I'm here with my re-truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart Anyway, so we're talking to Luke Enser Dude, thank you so much for being here You're doing a great job And I really like what you have to say And you're answering these questions very eloquently And you're being very thoughtful And you're being thoughtful of your organization and we really appreciate it. I think it's great that you are one of the spokesmen for the group. And I think you have great ideas. And I, I do agree with you in the sense that there could be a place for a commune person in the party. Communalist, I guess you could say. Uh, whatever. Com- it's a communalist. Again, again, it's yeah. like, if that was what the definition, the colloquial definition of socialism was, sure, we wouldn't sure. have a problem with it. But it's not. Right, right. No, I, I'm with you. I mean, that's that's different. But at the same time. I don't know. Well, property rights are the only rights. And I think that that's what we should be focusing on. Labels aren't really what the problem is. It's about understanding what rights are, where they come from. All rights are property rights. The natural rights are property rights. And uh, all rights derive from property rights. But I would love to talk about how we've already said that a lot of people are trying to vilify certain caucuses, certain people, and um, taking the drama to the dramatarians. Anyway. That said, considering we were just talking about different ways of messaging, what would you say your top five don'ts are when creating posts, doing outreach, or trying to bring people in? What would you say your top five don'ts, do nots? What are they? Honestly, I'm not really sure if I can answer that specifically because I've never really thought about it in that context before. It's mostly I make a post, I write it out, and then I go back and I edit it and I think, what is the way that this could be misconstrued? Is there a way that somebody could take this and kind of vilify us. And so I try to avoid anything related to identity politics. I try to avoid anything that could be, you know, certain phrases that are really, really badly charged, emotionally charged, that could be wrong. So basically, I just, I try to be careful in my language just in the context of what I've seen before, how people take things out of context, and how they could misconstrue it to vilify not only me, but people who are associated with me. How about when you're talking to other people outside of the party? Where do you start? How do you how do you not scare them away? Well, I don't uh, start off by saying you know nuclear weapons in a uh, in a vending machine or something like that. I don't start I don't start there. I don't I don't go that route of the you know the the Arvind Bora approach of 
just saying the most radical, abrasive thing that you can. Um, what I do is I try to structure my messaging on the idea of the Dallas Accord. The language there was specifically written to not rule out the radical alternative of no government. So in the context, say, of a drug bust or something like that, or here in PA, the opioid crisis, you could say, you know, we have to legalize drugs and decriminalize drugs. And they say, well, okay, so you're saying about, well, what about heroin and stuff like that? I don't start off by just saying um, legalize recreational heroin, meth, and cocaine. At the mm -hmm. same time, I think there could be some utility to that in-person conversations because at our uh, state convention, a member, Mark Bazzacco, he had a pin on that said re-legalize heroin. And that started off a lot of really good conversations. Mm -hmm. So, and I was part of one of them where a bunch of the staff actually came up and was and were asking us about it. They had lost family members to, to heroin and we were making the point of, well, first of all, it was the prohibition laws themselves that probably contributed to his death. And second of all, would locking him up have, real, have really solved anything? And sure. we would say no. Yeah. So I would say it's more along the lines of what is the conversation that is going on? Where do you want to go with it? And how are you looking to start it off? And also what your audience is as well. So there's no one size fits all solution to how you communicate. You have mm -hmm. to take it as you go. You have to take it out on a case by case basis. All right, Luke, um, according to Walter Block, Hayek was considered an Austrian economist. His views on political theory clash, though, with libertarian political theory, which Walter Block sees as an integral part of the Austrian school. Do you agree with that statement? In all honesty, I haven't read enough of Hayek to really make that determination because my, my issue is I have not read nearly enough. I'm, I'm still a young guy. I'm still 26. I, and I came into the philosophy back in um, 2013, and I just, I've not read enough to really make that kind of determination. I know what other people have said. I know what other philosophers have said about Hayek, but I haven't read enough of his works in particular to really make a judgment either way. I love your honesty on that. And that's fine because you know what? I've read part, I've read Road to Serfdom, but it was a couple of years back. So I don't remember everything he stated, um, but I really do appreciate your honesty on that. And uh, really quick, Luke, before we wrap this up, what are the goals of the party? What do you want to do? And what is the focus of Michael Heiss and yourself? Well, the goals of the party is to spread the message of liberty through political means. It's if you go back and read David Nolan's essay, The Case for a Libertarian Political Party, the layout is basically twofold. One, advertise and educate to the masses the ideas of liberty as well as recruiting and networking liberty activists. That's what the purpose of the Libertarian Party is. And we do that by running campaigns and having candidates who communicate that, the message of liberty. So... That is what we want to do. It's not just about, you know, just winning with the libertarian label, because if you sell out libertarian principles in order to win, libertarianism isn't actually winning. All you're doing is selling sure. out for power. Yeah. So while it would be a good thing to get into power and to get those things, we need to recognize not only what the goal is, is to spread liberty, but also recognize the viability of the party is lacking at the moment until we get more local elections. The presidential candidate of the LP is the top spokesman of the party, nothing more, nothing less. That is who they are. They are the nationwide face of libertarianism to the masses. As I said earlier, we're basically looking to bring about the viability of the party, bring it up through supporting local candidates who agree with our our views and our standpoint, as well as networking with other groups and, and forming issues-based coalitions to push um, certain ballot initiatives forward in order to roll back government where we can. Right on, man. Raylene, prepare for landing. Roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Luke and sir, give us your .com, sir. LPMesisCaucus.com. I don't have a personal website at the moment. That is where you can find our content. We have just recently started putting out a lot more articles, and we have a lot coming up. So just that's where to go. Rock and roll, man. Thank you so much, Luke, for being here on the show. Raylene, thanks again for being my 
beautiful co-host. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket. And Raylene, if people want to hear more of this show, where do they go? They go to supportblastoff.com. And if you subscribe and give them a dollar, you can hear our after party. And if you give them just $2, then we will be able to give you the all-nighter also. And you can check out our mothership, thelaunchpadmedia.com. Again, thelaunchpadmedia.com. Anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas. I'm here with my ray of truth, always shining light of truth on bad ideas. Anyways, (laughs) though, this is Johnny Rocket, launching ideas. See you next week, rock and roll.